three, two, one. Welcome back, everyone, to the Shop Still podcast. We are sitting down with another guest this week, all the way from Melbourne, uh, down in Brian's neck of the woods. He's also a, a recent new friend of ours that we got to hang out with for an entire weekend. And, you know, I think this is the first guest that we all know <laughs> outside of the, the podcast. So I want to welcome to the show, Patrick Holcomb. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me, Robin. And uh, yeah, nice to see you guys again after a couple yeah. of weeks break. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll get into to that meetup in a second. But for everyone who doesn't know you, what is it you do and, and how did you get to the place where you are now a woodworker? Yeah, I mean, I've heard a similar story a lot on this podcast. I'm a I'm a self-taught woodworker. I um, just kind of actually started out doing handyman stuff uh, when the work I was doing from my actual degree just wasn't really fulfilling. Um, and a bit, I was uh, playing in a band and I needed a part-time job, so I just did some some like basic building work. What was and the had some What was the degree, Patrick? What did you study? Uh, bot- botany and ecology. Okay. It was actually oh, right. called natural resource management, so it's kind of like a parks ranger. But, um, the reality of that work, if you're not able to go away from a capital city, is you're pulling weeds and poisoning, you know, poisoning weeds and stuff. And it's just not, right. not exactly what I w- wanted to do. I was really into the research and the science. And, um, yeah, anyway, I had some clients trust me and to build them some pieces. And I just really concentrated on building up my portfolio and, um, you know, I thought I was doing amazing good work when I really, really was not. <laughs> <laughs> we all start there. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, just, just worked hard to always push my abilities, would take on jobs that I didn't really know how to do, um, would always try and... I'd, I mean, I still put way more hours into a job than it's necessarily worth because I'm always keen to make sure that I'm handing off a piece to a client that I'm super proud of. And, and really, it's just like... It's just been kind of word of mouth since then. I moved out of my little um, back room of my house in 2016 and uh, moved into this little factory in the industrial wasteland of Campbellfield, which is actually, it's been perfect, really. It's, um, you know, it's a bit bit soulless. Like, it's not a beautiful old building like yours, Brian, <laughs> and it's not, like, tucked right in the city like, you know, a couple of our other mates, but it uh, has everything I need out here, and I'm surrounded by other makers and fabricators and suppliers, and, yeah, it's... From a that, professional standpoint, that's it's, definitely it's really, one bonus. So you, you've yeah. got a welder next door or something there, right? Right yeah. there, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> that's that's awesome. handy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, in a, in a nutshell, that's that's my thing. I mean, I always, you know, my dad made stuff. He was a um, English teacher, but he built our house and built all of our furniture and uh, you know our activities when we were kids. We we're like, oh, here's a pile of metal. Go weld that together. You know, go make right. make a mess. Um, so I was just comfortable enough with tools to for it to be a pretty natural transition. And and when I got to a point where I was making pieces, it just like it just felt so natural. Like I get to work with my hands, I get to make something, I get like I enjoyed the process and then I hand something off to a client and they're like, Oh, that's lovely, and I get a little buzz, and then they give me money and I get to do it all over again. And it's just it just seemed perfect. And coming from like the music world where I was doing all this creative work that I wasn't paid for. Even though I wasn't being paid much for woodworking, it was like, hey, someone's paying me for my creativity. That's fantastic. That is <laughs> a beautiful, I tell you beautiful what, summary of it. The number yeah. of people that we've had on this show <coughs> that are woodworkers who have been in bands 
is insane. I was just, I was just gonna yeah. ask you, Brian, you, th- you, you three got no, mate. I haven't got a musical boat in my body because all of us um, were in bands yeah. and a bunch Simeon, of people we've had on. Simeon was a big, yeah. big band, yeah. It's the only, the only only people who can who can survive on the the pittance that we make are, are musos <laughs> who can survive on less. When you move into woodworking, you're like, Jesus, there's so much money in this game. <laughs> what a lucrative industry! <laughs> I'm nearly earning minimum wage. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that I guess there's a a pull for that kind of creativity, and mm-hmm. well, music is a um, a good release of your creativity. It's much harder to earn any money. And yeah. woodwork, woodworking lets you release your creativity in a different way, but there's also a different amount of money involved, like Brian said. So yeah. it's an interesting... I mean, it's a similar thing. kind of slightly oversaturated industry. You know, lots of people who are doing it while working full-time jobs, so like kind of subsidising the products they're making. Um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of similarities in a way. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I've always been surprised by how many folks yeah you've had on have been in bands too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, talk us through your your workshop, Pat. What are you? Um, it's a. I, I know the uh, Mark Dana and Matt Black when they were there, they came back from their their tour of your shop, essentially drooling over some of yeah. the machines <laughs> you guys. I mean, yeah. From like from where I started in my back shed. If I'd seen this space, I would have been like, yep, that is absolutely perfect. And, and it really is. Like, it's a 100 square metres concrete box on the, on the floor and I've got about 75 or more square metres up on a mezzanine. Half of that I rent out to Clancy, who was also at Wood Dust. Um, I, did, I have rented out to other folks, but, and I keep half of it for... I use it for oiling and, and try and use it as a slightly cleaner space up there yeah. um, and just extra storage space, really. Um, but yeah, over the years I've, I've built up from, you know, more like hobbyist tools to a couple of pretty decent industrial tools. Um, and just recently upgraded a few bits and pieces, which, which just made my life a bit easier. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a really, I mean, I think you guys have probably all experienced, I mean, you just moved Joey, but like, I, I know I'd love more space, but I also know realistically it would take, I'd have to, I'd have to really change my workflow to really need more space. Like, I can make this work. It'd be nice to have double, but <laughs> that's just so I could be messier, I guess. But the line where you start to have wasted space, I think, is often a lot closer than you think it is. Yeah, and I think what would ultimately push me to a bigger space would be if I picked up a job for an architect where they're like, okay, we need 50 of these tables by the end of the year, I might rent mm-hmm. the factory next door or something and just try and, and try and do that on, like, a rental basis. And, and if that worked, I could. But I actually don't, I don't want... I go back and forth, but I don't, I don't want to run a business with a whole bunch of employees. I value my, my freedom. I'm in a lucky position where I don't, I don't have a massive mortgage. I don't need to be making a heap of money. I'm quite happy having the, the kind of control. I want to be on the tools. Like I, don't, I love designing, but I also don't want to be the person who's just designing. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm good where I am for now. <laughs> I, I, I'm like nodding my way through everything yeah. you're saying. Like, <laughs> it's, it like speaks to me exactly how I feel. So I'll just let you yeah. speak and, and assume I'm <laughs> agreeing. <laughs> oh, good. How, do, how does it work having, having Clancy there? Do you guys, you guys utilize each other's skills and lifting and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. So Clancy's actually worked for me for about almost since 2016. Oh, right. Um, okay. I, I didn't realize I, I looked there. for an employee um, really early on to help with 
can't remember exactly what I was doing. Oh, actually, at the early days, about half of my income was from set design. Um, yeah, and right. so I just needed someone else on site um, doing these big builds. And then half my income was, was furniture design. And um, Clancy was, I don't know what he was doing, but he worked for me a couple of days a week and, <laughs> and kind of has on and off for the, for the last couple of years. And it's been, it's been fantastic. We both, it's kind of a pretty casual arrangement, but he's always run his own little, his own little um, business making bits and pieces. And yeah, we help each other out, out a lot. He can utilize my big tools when I'm not here. And I always, a couple times a day, he's down helping me lift something and turn it over. Yeah. It's so invaluable, as you guys know, having that extra pair of hands. Like the amount of times I've nearly dropped a table on myself because I've tried to lift it by myself or, or damage something because including my back. <laughs> like, you just got, it's like the stuff we do is too heavy to do one person half the time. Yeah. I think we've always said that to people that are looking at uh, expanding the amount of furniture they produce in, in the early stages, getting an informal relationship with somebody yeah, that you trust. how difficult it is to do a lot of this stuff by yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's, I'm really, I'm struggling with that right now because... Because you um, dropped your, I mean, you don't have anyone else at the moment, do you? No, I had to get rid of, uh, rid of my guy um, just from a, a money point of view. Um, and I'm really struggling with just getting enough done, getting yeah. time on the computer, time in the workshop. But, but then I'm like, at the moment, this kind of harks back to what you were just saying about space is the only reason I need the space is because I take on these ridiculously giant house full house loads of kitchen uh-huh. and scullery yeah. type stuff and at the moment you know i'm just full up with boxes and um <laughs> there's plenty nowhere to move and yeah. um, I'm, I'm just like keep looking at it going how am, i haven't actually thought about how i'm gonna get this you kind of need someone else the there just to get that stuff done just get it out yeah. the door yeah so at the moment i don't even have a plan to get the stuff from my workshop to the house because it's just in a, in a too hard basket right now, but um, it's really tough, tough not having a permanent p- pair of hands. But yeah. and then on any given day, you might go, "Well, now we're just waiting for glue to dry." So, what are you going to do? Would you, Joey? Would you would you take on a student or something like that? Like how, f- yeah, how far? You, how far are you from nowhere. Auckland? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, how far are you from <laughs> Auckland again? An hour and a um, uh, it's hour and a half. But um, uh, the next closest city to me is Whangarei, which is... Uh, yeah, Whangarei would have trade schools and things, wouldn't it? I'm sure they do. Um, yeah. It's just me having to get off my butt and look for it and put yeah. put the... Because I'm, I'm, like, really standoffish now about offering because I don't want to get tied into something. Once you sign a contract with a, an employee, you're kind of tied there. Like, you don't really just get to... Um, sack them it's not something that you mm. can do and i'm really nervous about that but with a, a student you can definitely have and, and anyone really as a part-timer you can like like uh, pat you were saying have a much more casual agreement with yeah. somebody about cordon off a tiny portion of your workshop let someone use it as their space so that when you have a quiet time you're like all right fuck off go go work on your own piece now yeah that's 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 my a great position right now is clancy's got heaps mm-hmm. of work for himself yes. i'm like all right yeah i'm good for the for the next half day so just you know do your own thing yeah that's really yeah. ideal it's yeah. a good way to because do it. literally you yeah. might just need somebody for five minutes to flip a tabletop yeah. like yeah he just has <laughs> like a, a, a running tally and just yeah. adds it to the tab yeah, yeah. 
That's a really good way. Mm. Yeah. And clients-wise, where 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 are most of your jobs coming from? From architects or private residential? I've only really designers? recently started doing more architectural stuff. I mean, I've always wanted to. I feel like there's a bit of a an allure to, or it feels like a slightly higher profile job sometimes. It's a totally different relationship. Like I'm not seeing the client. Everything goes through layers and layers of of communication, which I don't love. Oof. It makes yeah. everything slower. <coughs> the grass um, is always gl- greener, hey? Yeah. yeah. I mean, in some ways I can charge them, you know, what I'm worth, which is better. <laughs> better than what I can necessarily charge a private client. But the vast better majority of my work... Wage. Yeah, exactly. The vast majority of my work is just word of mouth, private, private residential clients, and the odd bit of like... Um, oh, that's my compressor. Sorry, it'll go off in a... About thirty seconds. <laughs> Jeez, I, can't, um, I can't even hear it. If, oh, my, good. if mine went That's off, good. you'd know about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So private residential word of mouth. Um, I do some, you know, I post on Instagram and I update my website about once a year, and that's about the extent of my marketing budget. <laughs> you're good though. You're, um, you're you're pretty active on Instagram. I go up and down. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Um, yeah, when you contacted me, I was like, shit, I should post some stuff. I haven't done it for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned earlier that you are quite heavily into the design side of things. Yeah. Is that something that you, because it sounds like that wouldn't have, you wouldn't have had too much of an influence growing up with furniture design. So that's something that you've presumably taken on yourself and worked out yourself. Is there... Is that something that you have just picked up along the way or have you had someone help you out? Any No, I mean, I've, I've actually, I haven't had any formal tutoring. The only thing I've done is burn Burn's amazing course, which everyone should go do. Um, <laughs> burn Chandler. That's Burn Chandler, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I've always felt a bit, um, had a bit of a complex because not a complex, but like I don't have any formal training. I don't have any design training. I don't actually have a great literacy around other designers, historical furniture. I just don't have that background. And sometimes I'd really like to. I need to like, mm. I don't know, like give Julian Glenn Cross a bottle of whiskey and make him take me through the history of furniture or something. <laughs> I just like, I just need a, need a little background. But um, so I always, I almost had like a bit of an antagonistic um, idea of, of design early on, my, my whole ethos was shaped around like, what's the simplest thing I can do? It was really function over form. But as my skills increased and I like developed what I liked, um, I, I guess I've just kind of developed my voice a little bit. Um, but it, it's really hard to say where it came from. I, I often find that I'll just look at a piece that I've drawn up on SketchUp and go, nah, that's not right. Or like, I'll try and design something super um, super boxy and like really linear. And then something in me is like, no, nah, I've got to put a little taper there. I've got to put a little curve there. And I think that's just from, I don't know. It's just some, somewhere in me seeing, it's you know, it's just from, it. yeah, seeing mm. all of your guys's work, you know, seeing your stuff, Brian. And, um, you know, and there's like, I don't do a lot of curvy stuff and I've always felt like that wasn't my realm, but I think it really wasn't my realm because I didn't have the skills. And mm. as I develop the skills, I don't know, Adam Markowitz posted something the other day of some little beautiful little curvy object. And I'm like, shit, I'd really like to be able to figure out how to make that kind of stuff. And that's not in my wheelhouse right now, but I think, I think I'll, I'll get oh, there at some point. You did, the, um, you did that uh, table for the jeweler, right? That looked pretty complex. Yeah. yeah, it was complex and curvy in terms of bent lamination, but it didn't have much in the way of like organic shaped yeah. 
curves, mm-hmm. three dimensional. Which is something, yeah, yeah, correct. Um, I mean that, yeah, that piece really pushed me. It was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful piece to build. But, That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. I agree with you that I think um, three dimensional curves are a step beyond um, a curve. So I think as well, I can't build at, them in SketchUp, so I can't build them. <laughs> so they're not possible. I had to teach this myself physically had, impossible. I had to teach myself how to do that when I took on the spiral staircase job. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I need to learn how to make like a ridiculous shape in SketchUp. So I did that. And then, um, but I was going to say, like, um, woodworkers typically start with a box, jewelry box or something, and then a coffee table and everything square, square, square. And then you start putting like a rounded end on a table. And then you start yeah. going, how do I extrude that shape into like, the end of a coffee table and the whole thing is like a pill shape or something like that. And then, or like, like you did, Pat, you've got that kind of barrel uh, coffee table thing and it's Mm. kind of like, it's curved, but it's an an extrusion of a curve. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, it's and then there's a whole whole step above that, which um, I don't know. uh, There's this piece called the Maelstrom cabinet. Have you seen? And it's like carved, three-dimensionally carved it's like giant blocks of timber and, and it's sculpted and, and oh, it, it looks draws. almost like a wave or a storm at the, on yeah. the front face yeah that's yeah, right that and piece. that's just yeah. a whole step above like yeah uh you, you have i don't even know where you start with something like that right um, and i think like, like right now if i did a piece like that it would be like it wouldn't feel like it would fit with the rest of my stuff but also my my taste and and like when i say i think i i found a voice it's just evolving. Like, as my skills change, who knows? Like, I might just end up doing all curvy stuff all the time at some point. Yeah. Right, mm. right now I'm doing a lot of, you know, linear dovetail stuff, but, you know, yeah. it's just kind of whatever, whatever I'm doing at the time. Like, we've chatted about it before with Joseph Walsh's stuff. When you see his yeah. early stuff before he got into Bentlam, you've yeah. got to really search hard to find photographs of the internet because I think he's tried to have them all taken off. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some and I'm like, oh, no, it's a different Joseph Walsh. That's that's not the guy. (laughs) So I think it is, like, it's one of those things, once you start getting into it, like Nick Padula as well, you see a lot lot more Mm -hmm. Bentlam kind of coming into his work. But I always think there's a tricky balance. I like linear things. I like Mm, pointy edges. Uh And maybe that's just my design aesthetic, but I feel as well trying to find your clients once you get into really tricky bent lamp stuff that are prepared to pay for it you're really looking at a very very small niche like i find i i have to dial back a lot of my designs to try to appeal to a broader base yeah if i want to sell things like maybe this was another question i was going to ask you so you're recently a dad uh with a a one and a half year old yeah yeah my my thinking has totally changed with my business since i've had Mm -hmm. kids i know instantly look at what can i sell this piece for it's always yeah. the financial aim first as opposed to what creative <laughs> what creative juices can i can i tap into with with this like i'm looking at it going oh that joint's going to take a long time to cut maybe i'll just miter it and yeah no that's really do you find the same thing like have you found it's driven a business perspective joey's laughing so yeah joey feels it yeah it definitely recently i um i like i'll often have conversations with clients and i'm, I'm just um, reflecting now that I do exactly what you're talking about, where I'm like, oh, how can I how can I make this really interesting for myself? 
But what that means is that I end up spending an extra week that I'm really not paid for on a piece that, um, and uh, just this morning I started designing a, a dining table. It's the first time I've done it that I'm really looking at a retail model, mm. like seeing if I can make a dining table for like 1500 2000 bucks. I've got a couple retailers who I've chatted to make it super simple. So I'm not having to spend a week doing um, hand cut mortise and tenons. Yep. Um, just, yeah, chatting to a designer recently, I feel like I'm sometimes making like, maybe it's to try and prove myself, but I feel like I'm making furniture for furniture makers. Like I'm doing stuff that mm. I'm really interested in and I'm doing stuff that I want people to be like, Ooh, that's tricky. But, um, I was chatting to a, an architect. He's like, the vast majority of the people, they're like, oh, I want a table, but they don't really care in the same way that we do. Um, they're like, oh, I want it to be pretty or, or whatever, but they don't, they're not going to look at the, the detail of the stuff that, that we are. And it's great to have those skills. And I, I feel really proud of, you know, the way I've been able to develop some of those skills. But you've got to ask yourself, who's it for? Because hmm. right now yeah. I feel like it's, yeah. it's for my ego. It's just for me just wanting to, not, not just ego, <laughs> but like the joy of doing it. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of challenging it. myself to make a piece that's like for the gen pop. But, 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 <laughs> yeah, but by challenging yourself and increasing your skill set, I think the real benefit that you have of that is you're making better quality pieces. Yeah, for sure. And you're making them faster. Yes. So you're making them faster. Charging, you're able to charge a more. Lot more than I used to. Yeah, yeah, you're able to charge more, make it faster, and it's going to be better. So I think only by really exploring new skill sets can you learn things like that but i'm just from a design perspective i just find as though i'm now simplifying things down absolutely yeah, Gen- yeah. And I, like that's a choice we can make having you know having developed those skills and you know you know you can put in fussy technical stuff but you don't necessarily need to it's yeah. I'll just put my two sets in on that because i 100 percent agree with that when you first start and certainly when i first started it was all about how can I make this the most complex piece <laughs> yeah. and show off that I know yeah, I'm uh-huh. like God with wood, you know? Um, and then it's like probably it took about a year after my son was born. And, and before that I, I read an interview or saw one of the few interviews with Craig Tipido from CT fine furniture. And he makes these incredible veneered uh, puzzle boxes and, started off doing just incredible veneered furniture and someone asked him essentially what, you know, what drives you? What, what do you make this furniture? Why do you do it? And he just said to pay for my kids food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like really shocked at the answer. And I was like, so loud. Yeah. that really made me feel like, Oh, it's really cold and analytical view of it's just a <laughs> yeah. job. Yeah. But, but then as soon as, you know, my son was born and I, I, I'm in the workshop and I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to spend four hours cutting hand-cut dovetails on drawers. I yeah, think, it's four um, hours you're not spending with your kid. Yeah, like, and yeah. this make it simple. Um, I was chatting to Bern Chandley after his course and it was just a throwaway comment, but we're chatting about, you know, how the businesses were going and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, some stage I might just go and be a chippy. And I was just, and he was like, he wasn't being completely facetious, but he's like one of the most skilled woodworkers I know. Yeah. But you know, we got to recognise that like yeah. we're making choices, uh, these artistic choices which fulfil ourselves. It sometimes takes away from you know time with with family, I guess. Oh, that's yeah. funny, man. Because I we just <laughs> I've just been talking to my wife about this, and I'm like, you know, yeah. for the money I'm making currently, I'm struggling. Uh, yeah. Like 
maybe I should just go and dig holes. Exactly. Like, and then come yeah, home. So, and, yeah. I could work and, retail and make better money than I'm making. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, As someone who's on the outside of, from, from where you guys are, this, I hear these stories from, from people in, in different fields. Um, and it's, it, it often bothers me because I hear you guys talking like this. And I, you know, I'm trying to get into what you're doing. <laughs> ear muffs, so ear <laughs> Yeah, I've got these rose tint glasses that you've clearly at some point taken off along the journey. When I left my rental in, in Tasmania, my landlord was just uh, leaving his sparky business to yeah. just go be a, essentially a pencil pusher. Because that's yeah. all he wanted. He said, I'm done being an entrepreneur. And I was saying to him, as I'm trying to, yeah. <laughs> is there, a, is there a, a, a case then to be that you need to, you need to separate your woodworking? So you, you still love woodworking, but you've got to separate the business woodworking from your woodworking. Or at that stage, are you just out of time? There's just no time for your woodworking anymore. I mean, I, I think that, there's a similar conversation that I, I remember reading about with guys who are running studios and bands and stuff. It was like, you've got to look at your business as like, is this a business or is it a passion project? Because sometimes we, we blur the line mm. and, or we're like, we're, we're built buying machines that we're like, we think we can justify, but really it's just kind of because we want to play with them. Um, I mean, that, that being said, and all of, all of this kind of cynical talk, Robin, like I, it's been a long time since I've had an employee, uh, sorry, an employer, and I don't think I would like that. I know I wouldn't yeah. like it. Like I value what I do so much, the freedom. Um, I'm really passionate about it. And so, yeah, while I joke about doing something more lucrative, like this is absolutely what I should be doing. And I don't want to dissuade anyone from doing it. You know, I, um, I, I sometimes have to take on jobs that aren't super glamorous and that's just like, that's no worse than, you know, that, that potentially pay more. Yeah, yeah, no like dressing, going, dressing, going. dressing timber for somebody, for a, a, a yeah. backyard woodworker who doesn't have the machine to do it. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I can make 100 bucks an hour doing that. Sure, yeah, you're in your workshop. You work, like, yeah. I'd still rather do that than, than yeah. go work. You know, I've worked retail. I've worked for other people. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Sure, I'd like to make a bit more money, but, like, I'm actually, this is where I should be. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Robin. <laughs> That's that's the ultimate. Thanks for walking um, it back, Pat. <laughs> that, that's that's the ultimate uh, where I came back after. You know, it's all very well to say, "Oh, I could go get another job and earn money," but you are also stuck at the whim of somebody else. And currently, mm. my family just thirty-five meters away in the house. Yeah, and yeah. I could go and take five minutes and go give them a hug, and you know, whatever. Put right. a piece of puzzle. Both my parents puzzle them. Was it? My parents were high school teachers um, and they, they were in a pretty tough high school and didn't love it. And so my, my like impression of their work life growing up was that it was not particularly pleasant and not super fulfilling. It, you know, different aspects of it were really fulfilling for them. They both really cared about teaching, which is probably why they had such a rough time because they're in a school where no one else did. Or like mm. that was the impression I got. But it was just like work was seemed like a brutal thing. And... I'm in a position where my work is not like, yeah, I have long, long days and I'm not exactly making minimum wage, but um, I also really, I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm, I'm hating what I'm, what I'm doing. And Mm. so I think that's, you know, that's the trade-off that I've made and I'm in a lucky position to be able to do that. Not everybody is financially, there's a different equation for everybody, but 
um, yeah, the, the, the relationship that I saw that they had with work shaped how I feel about work for sure. Mm. Now, now talk, talking about design earlier, can I talk about one of your more recent pieces that's dining table? Yeah. And um, with the, it's got those sort of cross sections where you can sit what look like wooden yeah. Yeah. dishes. Yeah. Uh, I must say my first thought was, oh, I've seen that before. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I vaguely remember that from a, a recent event that we, that we just did, that design. Um, where, where did that come from? Where did that thought come from to make so, the inside of a dining table so functional? Ye- years and years ago, I remember seeing some work of a, a Melbourne sculptural, sculpture? sculptor, a sculpturist. <laughs> he work, works in metal. His name's Neil Taylor. And he does these phenomenal, huge grids of steel. Um, he also does these delicate little um, things out of gel wire, which are like just these tiny worlds of like, it's kind of futuristic and old-fashioned at the same time, just little tiny pieces of wire all joined together. And I just, I just so drawn to that design. So there's a giant piece in Heidi that's made of like welded steel, Brian. Do you know yeah, that I know piece? The, I know the that, piece, yeah. That's Neil Taylor. Yep. Um, so I kind of, a couple of years ago, I designed a piece similar to this for a, for a client. They wanted a dining table for a big light-filled space and they kind of liked the idea of a, a base that was like a solid plinth base, but they wanted to be able to see through it. So I threw a grid down there. Now, there's problems with putting a, you know, a big plinth under a dining table because it, people's legs hit it and stuff. So I had to shape that to change the ergonomics so that you know, it, it would be a functional 12-seater. Um, no, ten seater, um, and the little the little platforms that sit within the grid. That was just a bonus. It's like if you're going to have all of these horizontal cross members, it just seemed like a waste not to like integrate some playful little item into there. Um, but you know, I guess like you were saying with those curved pieces, Brian, like it's going to be a tough piece to sell. It was really built for an exhibition. It's very expensive. I. I need it to be somewhere. I think it would be better off like maybe in a winery or a gallery than it would be in someone's house. Mm -hmm. And I like, I don't expect like realistically while I don't want it in my house, I also don't really expect it to sell anytime soon. I'm not, my business isn't set up like that to sell pieces on spec that are worth, you know, I I need, I'd need about 16 K to make that piece again. Yep. Yeah, I learned that lesson myself. Yeah. Same thing. Try to build a couple of pieces on spec and then try and spend more time trying to sell it than it took to make it. Yeah, I mean, and I really wanted to make it and I'm glad I did. But, you know, I'm probably just going to give it to someone on loan, to be honest. <laughs> I, I get that 100% because what, what you did was you had this uh, this, this just uh, driving kind of mental image and you needed to get it out of you. Otherwise, it's going to yeah. bug the shit out of you because you're like, you just needed to experience it from A to B and work the details out practically right and then you say i made that thing and and now i can shelve it right otherwise i was just going to keep trying to kind of foist it on other clients who didn't want it that's right (laughs) now the idea is gone you've done it and then you can go to someone look i've done this but let's do it something slightly different you know it's like you you can still play on the idea but you don't now have to force it down someone's throat yeah for sure i'm glad i did it 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 was fun it was fun i just put aside an entire month didn't do anything else. That's just awesome. smashed it out. Yeah, I like it. yeah, it's really cool. It's yeah, really I haven't cool done design. I haven't done something like that for a while. I was just thinking about it the other day, actually, this morning. 
Um, I was like, man, I've just been so focused on client jobs because I've yeah. got to get paid that I just haven't allowed myself to even wonder and think and just let your brain drift a bit and just create some shapes of what would happen if I yeah. did this or that. And I haven't even, you know, I have not got any like potential sketches of, of like my dream kind of things to build. I haven't done anything like that for, for years. And if I didn't uh, have a deadline from that exhibition, I never would have got it done. Like I, <laughs> I needed, I needed something to push me to do it. Otherwise yeah. I just would have sat, you know, just, there's no impetus. There's no, there's no, no nothing forcing me to do it. So it's a good case for yeah, that, uh, signing up to an exhibition or, or somehow being yeah. involved in something like that. Yeah, end up with a piece of ta- furniture that you can't sell. Great idea. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a piece of furniture for furniture makers. Like I remember seeing Correct. you making the, the circular trays, the inserts, and the way that you had done the rebate in the bottom. Like I'm like, I, any client will never appreciate the amount of work that you went to to make that out of, right. out of a solid base instead of it's just... like a 10-step ten, ten process instead of just <laughs> yeah. gluing a chunk of wood on, on the underside. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But it, it, it is a standout piece. And if, if you are, you know, if you're saying you're trying to get into a bit more architectural work to have that as a folio piece and an yeah. advert yeah. for your business, like, yeah. would you rather spend your time and, I don't know, how much material... Three, a couple of grand, two oh, grand, whatever. Oh, that was a great thing. Series gave me the material because oh, it was even better. Efficient. So it's literally so your it's like time, just, v- just my time for a month versus totally spending money on advertising or something like that. This is a way yeah. better way to spend your your time. Yeah, I wanted to make something that was like I like. Again, I don't. I'm not super literate with a lot of historical furniture. I haven't seen anything quite like that. Like a lot of stuff. Like you know, we were chatting this morning about that that trestle table. Yeah, Brian. Like that's that design is everywhere. Yeah, it's, you know that's just not the my Nakashima, design. Like, it's right, so exactly. funny. So, just to put it in perspective, there, uh, the table that Patrick posted today, it was like a little knockdown thing. Is it? Yeah, yeah. pillar table, knockdown pillar table. Mm. It's kind of a George Nakashima style. If you look over my right shoulder, oh uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the same fucking table. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit chunkier and a bit, bit beefier, but yeah, yeah. Like you said, like um, there's only so much you can do with that table exists for a reason. It's easier to get chairs around it because legs don't get in the way. There's only so many ways yeah. you can do a leg design. Yeah, That's yeah. Interesting. It, just, it just works really well. Just want to hark back. You know, like the conversation has mentioned quite a few times this this idea that oh, you can't sell that to clients, or um, you know, that or the client doesn't care that you spent 20 hours making these little dish trays to go underneath the table. Mm. Like they just see a, a, you know, a little tray and that's it. Like, okay, fine. And it's and, and earlier, Pat, you mentioned like the vast majority of people just don't care. They don't see it. And it's so yeah. true that even myself, when I go through, you know, as furniture makers, we all, I'm sure whenever you see a piece of furniture somewhere, you just give it an extra 10 seconds once over. If you're going through a shop, you just go, oh yeah, and what they do, how they how they get around that little tricky join. Oh yeah, they just got screws up underneath. But the client, like any normal people, walk through the shop and they just go, oh, I like the shape of that table. Is it the right size? Yeah, yeah. let's buy it. They don't give yeah. a shit how it's put together. And yeah. they so the client then says, Oh, look, we can't that table isn't uh, in the right size. I'll find someone to make something similar for us. And then, and so that one in the shop was like 400 bucks. And then we come back with them for like a $4,000 version of it. 
And they're like, what the hell is... I just want something that's like that one. And you go, oh, yeah, but we put dovetails in it, and it's got mortise and tenons, and it's got this whole thing to allow the expansion and contraction of the wood. And they're like, ah, oh, just, I think we'll just go and get that one from the shop because, yeah. Yeah. like, they don't give a shit. And so that's coming, coming back to that same, like, just simplify your design so you don't have to fucking deal with the client who says, yeah. why is it... Why is it so much? Like, I just, I'll just go get that one. You've got to walk that line between, obviously, like, we don't want to put anything out there that's low quality. We want to make sure the pieces we make last, make sure the joinery is really sound. It's not going to break yeah. up. But, yeah, if you're putting, if you're putting, you've got to, guess, look at the features that you're putting into a dining table and saying, is that for me or is that for the client? Yeah. Because I do a lot of stuff that's just for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> However, true. I do wonder, I do wonder if it comes down to the sale of it, though. Because if... You know, if in your scenario, Joey, here's, I can make you the table for $4,000 or you can get a Joey chalk, one of a kind That's right. specifically built. And, and you, you, I don't want to say hammered up because it, it, you're being, it's legitimate. But if you give them something to tell their friends about why that table is so special, that's where you can do it. And that's just a different clientele. Like you just have different, like uh, Brian mentioned earlier, like, we probably all come across that client and you can tell pretty straight away that they're serious about getting something unique and they're going to pay for it. Mm. And you've got that other tire kicking client who's just like, ah, oh, look, can you just whip something together for me? Cause I can't find the right size thing. And you can tell the budget is completely different mm. ends of the spectrum and you, you treat yeah, each sure. one slightly different. Yeah, I had a client come to me recently and they're like, oh, we, you know, we really like the tables that you've made that have the joinery that the legs come through the top. Um, but the, the design wasn't quite right. And so I made sure they were serious. I got a deposit and did a bunch of design work. I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll just design you something from scratch that, you know, incorporates. It's going to have that joinery that, that is nowhere else in any of my work or any other work. Design something just for you. And it's been a long process, but I mean, that, that's, that stuff's joyful. Again, it's not profitable, but it's joyful. <laughs> yeah. It's marginally profitable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting idea of what you said. Um, I don't know if I would have the balls to take a deposit before I knew what I was going to make. Yeah, I mean, I really? think I probably heard that from Brian yeah. ages ago. Um, no, and it was because yeah. I, I'd already been back and forth with them a couple of times and, and given them some sketches. And I knew that to design something from scratch was going to be a pretty big investment in time. And I was like, look, if, if you end up buying the piece, I'll just subtract that, you know, that design fee would be in there anyway. Um, but I'm going to spend whatever, a couple of days probably designing stuff going back and forth, which I did. I spent a lot of time and they were, they were fine with it. It wasn't exorbitant either. I think I only charged them like 400 bucks or something. But, right. you know, he was a designer. They're, they're a serious client. And right. Like I, yeah. Mm. But I also was, I knew because we'd gone back and forth a bit, I didn't want to be in a position where I'd spent four days designing something that they were like, hey, I'm sorry, it's just not quite right. Yeah. Because um, I felt like I, I tend to sink into my designs and spend heaps and heaps of time doing them. And you're, just, you're not going to get paid for that half the time. I see. Yeah. I, I mean, think the, the whole industry would be better off if everybody took that blanket approach. And said, yeah. you want a bespoke mm. piece or you want to take one of my pieces and modify it? Here's a design deposit. If there's enough hours oh, in it de- for you. A design to- deposit, different. Like, I mean, I, I wasn't sure if Pat was meaning 
a, a full deposit for the whole job and he didn't know what he no, was going to make. It nah. was a design deposit. It was a couple hundred okay. bucks designed deposit. That, yeah. That's yeah. different. Yeah. And I would do yeah. absolutely. I would. But do yeah. you know what I mean? I, like even if yeah. even if every single maker charged three to $500 as a design mm. fee at the start, yep. it stops clients shopping around people's, people's yeah. designs. And if you say to them, okay, like maybe you come up with an agreement where you pay a bit more, say $500 or $600, and then they own the IP on that design and they can take it to whoever they want to make it. If they want to yeah. go cheaper, they can take it to somebody who's just out of trade school. If they want you to make it, they have to pay your fee. But then at mm. least everybody's getting paid. Mm. Yeah, I like mm. that. I, um, I, I charge for my design time, but I don't get it up front. I just build it into the cost of the mm. piece. Yeah. So yeah. The, the vast which, majority of my work is like that. It's only occasionally yeah. that I charge a design fee. Yeah, and the problem with it is um, that Brian will so quickly tell me is that when you don't get a job, you just spend three or four hours drawing something mm. um, that you don't get paid for. And here's a good example. I just, uh, and this is the worst kind because if, if someone comes to me wants a kitchen and I'll go, okay, I'll look at the pictures and decide if I even want to know about it. And then I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll start drawing something up. This particular one, they wanted all solid timber, slatted shelf, open kitchen, so no doors. It's just all like giant, like workbenches essentially. Um, yeah. And so there was like four hundred slats in this thing, and so I priced it all up and drew it all up. Spent probably two days on it, and then they just disappeared yeah. after they saw the cost of it. Yeah. And it's like. How, I don't know how else you do it apart from what Brian said was here's a design fee up front. Mm. Um, I should probably do that in the future because that's just my stupidity, I think. And definitely market, market it to them as saying it's refundable, even in 50% of it's refundable, you know, and if you still need the money, of course you can you can up the cost to increase like, yeah, right. your margin in it. Like that's not <laughs> yeah. that big a deal. But just yeah. the marketing of it to a client is if you go with me, then you're going to get something back. Yeah, That's a good idea. I'd never thought about that, actually. Like, hey, I'll do the design. You can take it or leave it. And if, if you get yeah. me to do it, then you get 50% off the design fee. That's pretty cool. Mm. Mm. So, Pat, what's the next project you're working on? Um, I'm doing some work with uh, architects out of Melbourne, Studio Edwards. Um this is this brightly and, coloured madness. Yeah. Oh, right. So the job, the job is for a um, a creative agency called Today, and they do a bunch of kind of like social enterprise creative work um, for social campaigns and stuff. It's a big big organisation. They're developing a a new workspace in Melbourne, in Richmond, and they needed twenty or something tables. So Studio Edwards designed these plywood tables that have scaffold steel bases. Uh, and they wanted this really specific finish, which had like a, a high high tone and low tone on the grain. So like the on on like radiata plywood, the soft grain goes one color, and the hard, hard grain goes another color. And so I worked for a long time, sort of developing that finish for them. Um, and now I'm building a bunch of tables, and like you know, it's steel scaffold bases. It's not exactly you know, what I would necessarily choose for a table, but there's a bunch of them. The space is kind of industrial. It's really bright. Um, so I'm working on that, and I've also got a um, a private um, hardwood black butt dining table that I'm doing. 
uh, and a few other jobs I need to for existing clients that I need to kind of draw up and, and keep moving forward on as well. But right now, the, this today project is taking up. They keep throwing more bits at me, which is lovely from a financial perspective, but um, it just kind of, it's just the job that keeps on giving and keeps on growing. <laughs> How do you deal with that? And in fact, I don't even know if we've talked, Brian, at all about this like if you have that's a pretty major job right you've got 20 tables and you've allowed to for it to take 10 weeks or something yeah um and then they go oh can you make us another five but you've already yeah. allocated the next month after that to the, your next job yeah what i have had an embarrassing you? situation with a private client where i really should have made this black butt dining table a long time ago but right. this today job just keeps getting pushed out and they have, you know, it's architects on architects. There's there's layers of bureaucracy there and they've got deadlines. Um, but it's I actually have, well, I've kind of stopped working on the Today Job for uh, about two weeks and just I've got to just have to finish this Blackwood dining table. And right. I'm still fitting it within the schedule because there's some other piece of the architecture job which is on hold. Um, but, yeah, I had to, had to put me in a position where I had to tell this really lovely client that like, Hey, I'm really sorry, but I haven't done this table and, and here's why. And, um, I'm going to get it to you as soon as I can. I don't like doing that at all. Um, and it's, you know, partly on me. I have a terrible, I have a really hard time saying no to things. Um, I'll take on all kinds of random stuff that I shouldn't. Yeah. And you know, when they're offering me new, new work, I need to be, I mean, in this position right now where I need to be like, yes, I'll do it but I'm not doing it within this work schedule. I'm going yeah. to get these tables done for you and then then we can cost and talk about the next step. Yeah, good um, point. And that doesn't always work for them, but, you know, I've done enough work for them now that they, they want me to do it, so, yeah. Sorry, can I just ask about the tinting the different sure. parts of the wood? How does yep. that work? Um, I'm, I'm reluctant to... I hate to say this. I'm reluctant to fully tell the the, the story <laughs> behind it because it's a it's a very unique process, and I'm hoping to utilize it myself in a bunch of cool. other work. Um, Have but, you worked this uh, out? Yeah, Did you worked this this process out yourself, more or less. Yeah. So they came to me with a with a sample that someone had done, but they'd done it on on a different type of timber, and when we tried it on plywood, it didn't work at all. Um, so I kind of had to re rejig the the whole process. Basically, we're using a combo of of uh, oil oil based and water based finishes with a with a texturizing element as well to raise and lower the grain. Huh. Um, it's been a super fun project. Um, I none of this video gets used. I'll, I'll anyway. I've, I've got some photos of it on my, on my Instagram and my stories. Um, okay. But the yeah, really striking result when and there are you know so much of that research. A bunch of the colors don't work. Some of them work really well. It's such a finicky process. It's been yeah, it's been really fun, but very time consuming. To get right. Sounds sounds fascinating, yeah. So yeah. we're gonna see it on Instagram. So there there were some stories. Um yeah. I saw some I've seen it. stories, yeah. 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 Um but I can I'll once these are done in a in a, another week or so I'll post a bunch of really nice photos of them. Yeah. Hopefully. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's a, a good segue because we are coming up to time now. Talking about Instagram, where can people find your work? So my company is called Douglas Fur Design um, and, yeah, I post on Instagram semi-regularly when I'm feeling motivated. Um, so, yeah, I'd, you know, go, go, go check that stuff out. Uh, that, that's about it. That's kind of the – I have a website, but I just kind of use it as a portfolio. I, yeah. Like I said, I update it once a year or so or whatever. Yeah. Cool. 
Yeah. All right. Well, good talking to you, Pat. Um, uh, you know, as I alluded to in the beginning of the show, we met Pat at Wood Dust, and um, that's where we organized this to get Pat on the show. So it's been nice to talk to you in this capacity as well, as opposed to just running around on stage trying to Being keep crazy me in April and check. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is, it's fun. Like, I feel like the four of us could have sat down having a beer and we would have had a pretty similar conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just yeah. feels yeah, like exactly. four woodworkers just chatting about, chatting about business. It's, yeah, it's been really good. Yeah, <laughs> it's certainly exactly. All right, mate, we'll take care and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, good guys. Work. Appreciate it. Cheers, Chat to you later. Patrick. Thank See you. Ya.